Thank you. Thank you and welcome to those of you here and watching. Thank you and welcome to this uh, new series, The Beauty of a Transformed Life. We've been celebrating 30 years of lives being transformed. And now we are loaded up with some amazing resources, both online and in our groups, to embark on a sort of journey of transformation, becoming more beautiful, transformed into the beauty of Christ. Don't you think the person next to you could do with a bit of beauty transformation? Don't you think? Just take a look. You'll see what I mean. And they're thinking the same about you. But we live in a world that is um, pretty committed to <laughs> pretty committed to becoming more beautiful, particularly on the outside, right? People take extreme lengths and spend a lot of money on products, on gym membership, even operations to become more externally beautiful, even injecting Botox to get rid of those wrinkles. Come on, some of you I know. It's actually not only something that can kill the wrinkles, it can also kill rats as well. Did you know that? It's the same stuff that we use as rat poison, we use to kill off the wrinkles as well. You can see I've obviously, you know, this isn't natural, I have to be honest with you. This, no, anyway. Uh, (laughs) We're spending a lot of money, very committed to beauty on the outside. This series is saying, what does it look like to become beautiful from the inside out? The beauty of a transformed life through Jesus Christ. And uh, when we go on this journey, our guide, if you like, our tour guide, is going to be a character from the Bible called Peter. And if ever there's an example of someone who experienced a pretty radical transformation from the inside out as he came to know Jesus Christ, it's Peter. You may or may not know the details of his story, but it's kind of a bumpy ride. I encourage you to read the life of Peter in one of the Gospels, particularly Mark's Gospel, you'll see that he is very honest about the the fact that he was a pretty rough diamond, right? He was kind of like the Middle Eastern equivalent of a sort of say-it-as-it-is, tough-speaking type. And as a result, he's often putting his foot in it, uh, making a mess of things, coming out looking a bit foolish from what happened. And I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging. Anyone else identify with Peter, the disciple, right? Because I don't know if this is true for you, but the the graph of my journey of knowing God has not been a nice straight line of progress. Sometimes I've put my foot in it. I've fallen on my face. I've been a bit of a fool. And yet the story of Peter says Jesus does not give up on him and he will not give up on us. Amen? He's faithful to every disciple that he says, come and follow me. So we're being invited into that journey. And today we're focusing on the first of these elements of the beauty of a transformed life, which is knowing God. It all starts with knowing God for Peter and for us. Now I should explain just briefly what I mean, and then we're going to look at five of the headlines from Peter's journey of knowing God. But let me just clarify, I don't mean knowing about God or believing that there may be a God up there who exists. Most of our world actually believe that there is some higher power or big cheese or greater being or Morgan Freeman, however you want to think of God um, in heaven, right, up there. But how could we down here ever know him, knowing God? How is that possible? You see, we are, if you like, downstairs, and God is, if you like, upstairs. And whilst we all know, let's be honest, that we're on our way upstairs, one day when we die, we'll leave this life and enter into eternity, how can we know in advance the God who is waiting for us? Have you noticed that no one who ever dies and goes upstairs ever does us the favor of coming back downstairs to tell us what's going on upstairs, right? 
But here's the claim of Christianity. This is so important. Here's, here's the big claim of Christianity. It's this. That in Jesus Christ, the God who is, if you like, upstairs, the God of heaven, made his way downstairs to earth that we might know him. So the headline of the Christian journey is this. Through Jesus, you can see this now, through Jesus, God has made himself known so we can know him personally. Not just guess about him up there, but know him here and now. Now that is actually, if you're a human being this morning, and I'm assuming that's who I'm addressing, you are hardwired for this reality. You're made to know God. And actually to be a human being and do everything else that human beings do, but not know God personally, is to be living well under par, shall we put it. Imagine your gran with the latest iPhone X, and all she does is send a couple of texts a week, right? You'd look at that and you'd think, Gran, that was made for so much more. <laughs> look at a human being who does not know God personally, and you could say, you were made for so much more. And today we're invited into that more, that journey, that adventure of knowing God. Okay? So we're going to get into that by looking at the five incidents in Peter's life not in any great detail, but high altitude. We're going to get a sort of whistle-stop tour through his life. Five things he discovers about knowing God. Firstly, knowing the God who knows me. The first thing Peter discovers when he actually meets Jesus Christ is that he already knows him. Initially, Peter hears about Jesus from his brother Andrew. We looked at this last week. But then Andrew invites Peter brought Peter to Jesus, and suddenly Peter goes from secondhand to personal knowledge of Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus said to Peter, you are Simon, but you shall be called Peter. Now, this is actually quite a shocking moment. Don't miss the point here. He's never met him before, and Jesus is up front telling Peter, you're Simon, that's your name, and this is your future, you're going to be called Peter. I don't know about you, but that's a slightly unnerving reality, isn't it? To know someone, that, to meet someone you've never met before, and they know you. <laughs> I met someone just the other week who was actually from Kuala Lumpur. He just arrived in the UK. We'd never met before, and we got chatting. And to stay in touch, we did that thing where he gave me his phone number, mobile. I typed it into mine, and I phoned his mobile, so then he had my number. And as I rang his mobile, up on the screen came my number and Andrew Ollerton, question mark. I was freaked out, right? How does a phone from Kuala Lumpur have my name when it hears my number, right? It's a slightly scary moment when you think, how do you know me? <laughs> Now, this incident in Peter's life was BG, right? Before Google. <laughs> and, and yet, Jesus looks at Peter and says, I know you. I've got your name. I've got your number. I've got your future. I see you and I know you. Knowing the God who knows me. Actually, it's a wonderful thing for a human being to come to know the God who already knows us and sees us and loves us. Amen. Listen to how Psalm 139 describes this beautiful reality of being known by God. The psalmist says, Oh God, you know me. I'm an open book to you. 
Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you are there. Then up ahead and you're there also. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. That's a human being trying to grasp the wonder of being known by God. He sees me, he knows me, he loves me. Honestly, in a lonely and busy and confusing world, every human being needs to know this most basic reality. Before I even know God, he knows me. I might not see him, but he's watching over me. I remember being um, with, with Charlotte, my wife, and at the time we only had one child, our daughter Lucy, she was about two, and we were at a very busy airport getting ready to fly and in the departure lounge, and um, our two-year-old, if you're a parent, you had this experience, have you ever had those moments where they just walk off, as if they, as if they know exactly where they're going, they don't look back, they just walk off. Now everything in you in a busy airport instinctively thinks I need to grab them, but for some reason I must have been bored, I decided to conduct an experiment instead. <laughs> I decided to sort of let her go, but follow, hiding behind objects and people from a safe distance and see what happened, right? How far will this thing go? So off she went, toddling off, you know, singing along with Sinatra, best of all, my way. And she heads off into the airport, and it's all fine until she glanced over her shoulder. And you could see as she looked behind, and there was no one there. There was no familiar parental face. You could see the look of terror begin to set in. It didn't actually stop her. I let the, con- the, the experiment continue. It didn't actually stop her. She carried on, but now she was nervous, watching around and tripping over things because of this kind of fear. I wondered how long to let this go on for, as you can imagine. Well, as she boarded flight 789 to Istanbul, I thought, enough's enough, right? So I, <laughs> I burst out of my hiding place, and she gave me the biggest hug you could imagine because amongst all of the sea of faces, here was the face who knows her and who loves her, and who, as she realized, has always been with her. That is the reality that Peter experienced, and that we experience when we come to know God through Jesus Christ, knowing the God who knows me. And then secondly, knowing the God who wants me. Knowing the God who wants me. Next incident, next meeting point between Peter and Jesus Mark chapter 1, we read this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, Simon and his brother Andrew were fishing. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Now, to understand the significance of this story, you need to understand the backstory to this moment. You see, in this Jewish context, Young boys from the age of 5 to about 12 would have been taught the Jewish Torah, the law, the instruction, as part of their education. And then around the age of 13, they had their bar mitzvah, which was kind of the coming of age, a boy becoming a young man. And around that age, the prestigious rabbis, the teachers of the law, the the high-profile elite, would then choose from amongst the Jewish boys, they would pick the very best to be the elite disciples, and they would invite them with this formula, come and follow me. So they were inviting the very best to follow the elite elite rabbis as disciples, 
And then the rest of the boys, if you like, were sent away. They were not chosen, and so they went back to their father's trade. Now, as we therefore meet Peter, and he is fishing, you can assume that that moment came and went, and he was not chosen. He was not one of the elite, educated VIPs. He was, if you like, rejected and sent back to his father's trade of fishing. And so can you imagine the moment having experienced rejection and no doubt living with some of the mixed emotions of fear, of abandonment and failure, but also anger and a high temper. Imagine the moment when Peter, who'd experienced rejection, hears another rabbi walk into his life, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and come right over to him, left to his fishing, and say, you, come and follow me. That's the rabbi speaking that Peter thought he would never hear, calling him and saying, I choose you. I want you to follow me. You who thought you were left out, that you'd missed out, that you were not good enough, the Son of God walks into his world, tramples over all that experience of rejection and say, I want you. What a powerful moment that must have been for Peter. Knowing the God who not only knows me, but wants me. In fact, in spite of everything he knows about me, he still wants me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it releasing when the one who knows everything about you, so you've nothing to hide, says, I want you, so you've nothing to fear? See, many of us, I think, actually, more than we realize, we live with rejection issues because some of us may not have felt like we were the elite, the important, the ones who made it in life. Others of us, maybe we have got a few grades, but we can still live with this fear of failure and a feeling and a desire to impress others and please others, to try and be acceptable. And when we live in that kind of life where we feel a basic sense of rejection, it can do us in. You can see on the screen here a a cycle of how this can so often play out in people's lives. We experience rejection, the message that we're not wanted. We internalize that in shame, the message we tell ourselves we're not good enough. And then we act out of a place of striving so often. You know, I'll show them, I'll prove myself. Now spin that round a few years and it can break a person. Now, how do you get healed from that kind of rejection? Well, you've got to come to know the God who wants you, who says in spite of what your parents may have said or not said, in spite of what your boss thinks of you, in spite of what your colleagues or your friends or your spouse or lack of spouse, whatever the message is you've heard, he cuts right across that and says, I choose you. I want you. You come and follow me. Can you imagine what that did for Peter? And can you imagine what that could do for us? It could kick us into a whole other cycle in life. Not one of rejection, but as you can see here, one of knowing I'm fundamentally accepted. God wants me. So my life starts from that truth. I'm accepted. God wants me. And out of that, I'm secure. Out of that acceptance, I'm secure. I've got nothing to prove. After all, if the God of the universe says, I call you, who do you need to prove anything to? And out of that, we can act free in the world. Not needing to prove ourselves, but free to be ourselves acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter experienced that. 
And we need to experience that also, knowing the God who wants me. I believe some of us today, this is the reality we need to enter into. And we may be here today and almost imagining, assuming that because of some of the rejection issues we've experienced in life, assuming that that's roughly how God would think of us, that he wouldn't want anything to do with someone like me. Listen, Peter might have thought that until God walked into his life through Jesus Christ and said, come, follow me, I want you. And I believe today, right here and online, I believe the Lord is coming right up to some of us and cutting across all that rejection and saying, I want you. Come and follow me. Knowing the God who knows me, knowing the God who wants me, and then thirdly, knowing the God who saves me. This is where our knowledge of God goes from theory to reality. Knowing the God who saves me. You know, when the storms of life come our way and we experience rough, tough seasons in life, we need to know the God who saves us. Not just as a theory, but as a reality. Now, for Peter, the incident I'm thinking of was a literal storm. He was in a boat with his fellow disciples, caught up in a mega storm. And in the middle of the storm, the God who saves us came to them walking on the water. Jesus Christ walked out to this boat. And as he came out to the boat, he gave the opportunity to know him at a whole new level. No longer as a theory, but in reality. Have you noticed in life generally that there are different kinds of knowledge, right? Different ways to know about things. And in our Western world, particularly the education system we're used to, we highly prize one form of knowledge, which is, if you like, theoretical or academic knowledge. That's what people are tested on and rewarded for through GCSEs and A-levels and degrees, is the ability to almost stand back as a detached observer and observe reality like a scientist and understand facts and figures and theories, right? A detached form of knowledge. But in the world of Jesus and Peter, the Hebrew world, they thought of knowledge in a much richer way than that, not just as detached theory, but as something that you discover or you come to know by participating. You know by getting involved, by experiencing, by doing. Little clue, in Genesis, we read this amazing verse, Adam, literally it says, Adam knew Eve and she gave birth to a son. (laughs) Now what kind of knowledge did Adam and Eve have of each other in order for Eve to become pregnant, right? Not the kind of knowledge of the education system, but the kind of knowledge of the Hebrew worldview, this personal participation. Now as Jesus comes walking out to the boat on the water, It becomes then an open opportunity that Peter grabs hold of to know Jesus in a whole new way. Not as a detached observer, but as a personal participator. Let me show you what I mean. We read in Matthew chapter 14 these words. Jesus came out on on the water and he said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied... Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of Peter. Now, wouldn't you agree that this is another kind of knowledge that Peter is now experiencing, right? He goes from the boat reality, where he, as a detached observer, can watch Jesus walking on water. That's one kind of knowledge. But did you see what Peter did? He got out of the boat. Can you imagine that moment? Stepping into the unknown. And he steps in by faith into an adventure of knowing Jesus in a whole new way. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree that his knowledge of the Lord went to another level from what you can have by staying in the boat? Today is an invitation from Jesus Christ. If you want to really know God, guess what you've got to do? (laughs) You've got to get out of the boat. You can't fully know him as a detached observer. There has to be a moment where you step out in faith and say, Lord, I trust you with everything. I'm coming after you. What a moment. Now, for some of us, that could be today for the very first time, putting our trust in Jesus Christ. But for others, it may be that we've actually been on the journey for a long time. And yet, actually, our call today is another moment of getting out of the boat in a fresh act of faith, of risk, of pioneering, and going after Jesus in a new moment of adventure. Anyone else up for that? I said, anyone else up for that? Well, you've got to get out of the boat to have an adventure with Jesus. You can't really know him and stay in the safe zone. The story that we're celebrating of 30 years in this amazing work of God is a story going right back for Dave and Karen 30 years ago and then so many other people along the way. It's a story of time and again climbing out of the boat, right? And realizing unless Jesus is with us, we're going to sink to the bottom. But because he's for us, we're going to have an adventure. We're going to write a new story that's not a theory, but it's a reality that transforms lives. And God's calling more of us to step out of that boat today and put our faith in Jesus, knowing the God who saves me. Knowing the God who knows me, knowing the God who wants me, knowing the God who saves me. And then fourthly, knowing the God who humbles me, not humiliates me but humbles me. You know, knowing God is a humbling experience because there are moments where we really feel like we're getting it. I get it, I understand it, light bulb moments, I know what this is about. And then there are other moments in the Christian life where we think, I don't get it. (laughs) I don't understand how this whole thing works. And that's what we see in the next incident in Peter's journey of knowing God. On the one hand, he absolutely nails it. There's a moment in Matthew 16 where Jesus says, so who do you think I am? And Peter speaks out and he says this remarkable phrase. Peter replied, you are the Christ or Messiah, the son of the living God. I mean, you couldn't get a more nail it kind of statement. We actually call this the great confession. He's saying, you are the God from upstairs who has come downstairs. You are it, Jesus. You are the son of the living God. Amazing. Imagine Peter just feeling the pride. I nailed it. I absolutely get this thing. And then in the very next moment, he shows how much he doesn't get this thing. And this is the challenge of knowing the God who humbles me. You see, Jesus goes on immediately to teach, you're absolutely right, Peter, I'm the Son of God, and as the Son of God, 
I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to suffer and die on a Roman cross. And Peter is having none of it. (laughs) He takes, listen to these words now in Matthew 16. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. No, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Isn't it amazing how quickly you can go from nailing it to being called Satan? <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty roller coaster ride right there. Why? Well, because on the one hand, Peter gets it, he understands who Jesus is. And yet his mind is so full of other ideas for what this means that he even, did you notice, he even has the cheek to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? He's just said, you're the son of the living God. Now come over here and let me have a word. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? Lord, let me not embarrass you in front of the others. Come over here. We need to talk. You're wrong. <laughs> you're not, it's not going to happen like that. Let me explain the deal. <laughs> It's an incredible moment, isn't it, of, well, it's a moment we can all find ourselves in, where on the one hand, we want to worship Jesus as Lord, and yet we want to remain the director of operations. Have you noticed that tendency? We're actually called to be followers, but it's so easy to stay as directors. And that's the challenge, to move to the next level of knowing God. There has to come a moment where we all... Well, we find somewhere like this in our lives where we kneel before Jesus and we say, Lord, I resign as director of my life. And I become a follower with you as my director, my master, my Lord. You can see on the screen here a helpful visual that just is putting Jesus on the throne at the center of our lives and saying all these other issues that orbit around my life, you're the director, I'm the follower. That's the position of someone who can break through to another level of knowing God. Notice what Jesus said to Peter, get behind me. (laughs) That's a follower's position, isn't it? Behind the one who's leading. I don't know about you, but I've certainly seen in my own life and actually in many other people's lives that we can get stuck on this one. We can get very excited about following Jesus, and it is exciting and changes our lives. But after starting out on the journey of excitement, we can hit some issues where it's not as easy as we thought. He doesn't do exactly what we want, or some of his teaching conflicts with the way we want to live our lives, or other people say we should live our lives, and we make a decision, and so often we can turn away at that moment and say, I'm the director here, you come over here, let me explain how this is going to work. Not like you think, but like I think. And in those moments, as we turn away, we can so often lead to a moment of further complication, brokenness. We make a mess. We loop back round. We come back to Jesus, and we're excited again, and we can find ourselves stuck on this loop. And the reason is, we've never actually realized we've got to resign as director and become a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's then that we break free to live with a new sense of freedom, liberation, and purpose in our lives. This is not a negative thing. Folks, this is the way to flourish as a human being, to make him the director and I'm the follower. I noticed in a shop I went into the other day, it had a little sign on the way in, and it just said, under new ownership. And I spoke to the girl at the desk who was at the till, 
And I said, how's the, you know, I referred to her, I said, how's it going? And she said, oh, it's fantastic, she said. The last owner was a right, I won't say what she said, but, but the new owner, the new boss is brilliant. And I just thought, what a great summary of my story, my experience of the Christian life. The previous owner is a bit of a <laughs> me, but when I resign and I make Jesus the boss, he's fantastic. Amen? He's the one who can lead us in freedom. Knowing the God who humbles me is where I go from being director to being follower, I make him Lord. Now, finally, knowing the God who captivates me is where we fast forward to a final moment in the life of Peter in the Gospels, where all that Jesus said would happen has happened. He has indeed gone to Jerusalem, suffered and died on a Roman cross, but as the Lord of all, he rose again through the resurrection of Jesus Death and hell and sin are defeated, and he brings victory back to humanity. What a moment. And after rising from the dead, Peter and the disciples have gone fishing again, as if to return to their old lives, and the risen Jesus appears on the shore by the lake. Now, does that remind you of anything? That's where he first called Peter, wasn't it? When he was fishing, and Jesus turned up on the shore and said, come and follow me. It's like we're back in that moment Jesus risen from the dead. And as Peter realizes that it's the Lord, I want you to notice his response, a wonderful way for us to respond today as well. We read this, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, for they were not far from shore, just about a hundred meters. You can get the idea here. It was the other disciples who wrote up this story as if to say, he was, Peter was so embarrassing, I can't believe what he did. He put on his clothes and jumped into the lake while the rest of us followed in the boat. It's like, what a fool. And yet, what a fool for Jesus, right? What a beautiful picture as Peter kind of grabs everything that belongs to him, his clothes and everything, grabs it and just dives in as if to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm not going to be on the shore just observing from the boat. No, no, I'm diving in. With everything I've got, I'm in on this adventure of knowing God. And I want to invite all of us to respond in a similar way. Kind of grab everything you've got and dive in to the adventure of knowing God through Jesus Christ. What an invitation we have as the Son of God, the one who knows me, who wants me, who saves me, humbles me, and captivates me. The Son of God says, you come and follow me. And I don't know about you, my response is, I want to grab everything I've got and I want to dive in. Dive into the Sunday teaching, to the small group opportunities, the online resources. Dive in with everything I've got. I'm not going to get stuck or stay in the boat. Jesus, I'm all in. I'm following you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.